0: What do you think a troublemaker is? I think I'm about to have another conversation with a troublemaker. In the last episode of this special series, looking at social leadership and entrepreneurship, we met Scott Miller and looked at his pathway through education and the way in which he was supported and encouraged to be curious, to recognize opportunity, to see difference and possibility. To execute with a cute process and an approach towards promotion which is really authentic he's really really high energy he's helping us to understand what it is to be an entrepreneur and I think we're going to learn a little bit about Steve as well in this episode let's go Scott thank you so much for coming back and having a, a wee chat with us
1: oh such a pleasure Phil looking forward to it
0: excellent excellent talk to me about what you're doing today so there's BOP Industries, what is it, what's your role, go.
1: Absolutely. So I am the CEO and founder, or chief troublemaker, as we like to call it, um, of a company called BOP Industries. So we work with primary and high school students predominantly, um, running programs around entrepreneurship, STEM and innovation. Um, but trying to show students how they can do amazing things at any age, from anywhere, following their passion Um and our pillars, yeah, really are STEM innovation, entrepreneurship and also um, corporate entrepreneurship as well. So we've worked with about 40,000 students in about um, 36 locations around the world since we started after I graduated school in 2018. Um, and it's just a total blast.
0: Well, that just sounds so exciting. All right. So let's just dig that apart a little bit. So there's BOP Industries. Tell me about the team around you to start with, because educational leaders are always really intrigued about structure So let's talk about the structure and how the company works.
1: Yeah. So we do a lot for quite a small team. Um, So I'm the founder. I'm CEO. I look after my happy place is sales, marketing, and partnerships. Um, So I do a lot of the business development. Um, Underneath me and in the office, we've got... um, Someone who looks after marketing and communications. um, Someone looks after operations and program coordination. And someone looks after our facilitators and our program building. Um, And then underneath that, we have our team of facilitators. Um, So our facilitators range from 14 through to 54 years of age. Um, They come from about seven different countries, have about 11 different degrees under their belts, um, and they do a lot of our program building. um, So building workbooks, building work uh, workbooks, workshops, and curriculum, um, and then going out and delivering that in our classrooms as well.
0: So what does that look like in a primary school, for example?
1: Yeah. So our programs, like we might go into a primary school and run a series of workshops. Now this could be a full day workshop with the same group of 30 kids. It could be two half day workshops or a series of one hour workshops. Um, but we'd go in and we'd set up the room um, and as teacher I always say about 75% of the work we do isn't on our website it's because we have a lot of teachers reaching out saying hey you did ABC really well could you build a program for me on XYZ Um, and we build that sort of a program but we go in we run these workshops and we try and cater to all different types of students and they're learning how they like to learn so we'll have a lot of opportunities for kids to listen as we talk about ideas we have some videos we have some um resources for them to read and stuff for them to get hands on with but we love to deliver some content set them some challenges so it's very cross-curricular project-based
0: learning why do this
1: um yeah so i guess for us like after graduating after graduating year 12 i was in a really unique position like as a year 12 student after running my hearing and hologram business I was sitting there as a 17 year old. I had gotten the grades I needed to, to get into the courses I applied for. I had three universities approach me with scholarship offers, seven companies reach out with job offers and more clients saying, Hey, can you build some more holograms for us? Um, so as a 17 year old, I was sitting there with these five different avenues and a lot of choice. And while all of my friends were stressing about, like they'd put all their eggs in one basket around going to university. Um, I ended up turning down all those offers and running the business full time. Um, A lot of the companies that offered me jobs were now partnered with. A lot of the universities that reached out with scholarship offers I now guest lecture at. And we had a lot of teachers reaching out saying, hey, can you teach our students how to do what you did? There's a big push for 21st century skills around entrepreneurship and innovation and STEM. And we'd love some more support. Um, And I thought, yeah, of course, like if I can do it, surely other kids can as well. So it started up in regional Queensland in Rockhampton and Gladstone building and running a couple of programs in 2018 um, and grew pretty quickly from there. And we realised there was a real need for it, Um, helping make sure that everything we're teaching is real, relevant and relatable and helping connect the industry with the classroom.
0: Where did this idea come from for you? Because, uh, you know, again, if I I just take you on this trajectory, there's little Scott doing debates when he's eight years old and then there's 14-year-old Scott picking up a business studies assignment, selling key rings, suddenly it's a business, then it's in holograms, now it's in this. Help me understand. So I had
1: no idea this is what I was going to be doing. Um, Back in school, like as a 14-year-old, before I started the business program, I thought I was going to be a commercial airline pilot or I was going to go into performing arts. Um, Then I found business and I was like, this is pretty cool. Like, this is an awesome vehicle for me to get into rooms with prime ministers and CEOs and have some really interesting conversations. But then I think what I realised was having these sorts of conversations with a lot of these business leaders, they didn't really understand the power of young people. Like they're all so fascinated that me as a teenager at the time, I was able to have all these ideas and share these opinions that are actually quite interesting to me. I thought, well, like, we've got to help that a bit more. And I also found it really interesting, like studying business and technology as a student, while I was also running a tech business. I realized there were a lot of discrepancies and what we were being taught wasn't necessarily what was happening in the industry. And I remember one example getting quite frustrated as a year 10 student where i had done a, um, I was doing an assignment on marketing and I'd use like the guy sitting next to me in the co-working space I was um, hanging out at on the holidays he had just done um, I think a million dollars worth of sales in one month on his Amazon store and he did a lot of marketing sort of stuff for that. So I like talked to him, interviewed him and wrote my report on that. And I ended up getting a B or something like that. And I was quite frustrated. I was like, oh, come on, please. This is like, this is straight from the horse's mouth. Um, So I thought, what if, and I thought there were so many other ways we could show students how they could follow a similar trajectory. Like for me, I had that $100 from the school business project and some really awesome mentors. And that kind of got me to where I was. And I thought, surely we can empower other students to do the same thing. And it was when the teachers reached out saying, hey, we would love like we would love that for our students as well. And I thought this could be really cool. And going into the classrooms, it was just so much fun, like working with these kids and you could really see the change you're making in a single workshop. Like I remember our first workshop, I had some kids who came up to me at the end and they're like, thank you so much. Like i never considered this as a viable career pathway before, but after hearing your story, after doing these challenges, like I realized that, hey, it's not as big and scary as I once thought. And we are really gonna give this a crack. So I thought, wow, like, I can have so much power and so much influence, I think, on these young people um, and help them realise things they might not have ever realised without me. And I think as well, like chatting to the teachers, I could just see how, like, they just didn't have time to do a lot of this sort of stuff. Like, they didn't have time to go out and connect with industry and build these programmes themselves. And I could see the value we're adding there. So it was kind of very fulfilling, um, very fulfilling work for me.
0: Is anything big and scary for
1: you? Um. Oh, so many things. I still walk into rooms with people, like have meetings, and I'm like, I am like, I get imposter syndrome. I think is a really very very real thing that Phil, I don't know if you've experienced before, but I know a lot of business owners have, where you always feel like you're an imposter.
0: It's a it's a it's a daily habit. The you waking you up in the morning, mm-hmm. you're going no no, surely not.
1: Surely <laughs> not. They're like,
0: work They're gonna work me out no.
1: <laughs> Oh, totally. Like I remember, I actually got a call. Um. A a couple of weeks ago from an old client of ours. Now she's been teaching around across the country, everything from a teacher's aide up to a principal and is an incredibly experienced educator. And she called me up the other day and she's like, hey, Scott, I'm just, I'm building this new unit for some of my year nine and 10 students. And I'm just, I'm I'm a bit stuck. I'm not really sure what to do. And I'd love to get your thoughts and opinions, maybe even just bounce some ideas off you for some feedback. Would that be okay? And even after that call, I was like, I am so desperately unqualified for that. It is not even funny. Like, I worship the ground you work walk on. And, like, your education ideas are far superior to mine. So, yeah, like, the imposter syndrome is very real. And I think it's just dealing with that and mitigating that. Um, but I think as well, like, reminding yourself that, hey, like, I am actually, I'm awesome. Like, I've done some really cool stuff. I've got a lot of awesome experiences to draw on. But, again, walking that fine line between confidence and arrogance while you do that.
0: So let's talk about that gap for a moment, because that gap is really important, isn't it? Because in mm. the lives of most people, they will try and reduce that gap as much as possible. They will try as hard as they can to eliminate the risk. And particularly, guys, in your generation, there's a real risk issue, isn't it? There's, but people people place a need on 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 being safe, on being secure, that is that is generationally quite different. So, and how do you, how do you manage that gap?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, like, the risk risk is risk appetite is definitely something that sets an entrepreneur apart. It's that ability to take risks and gamble, essentially, um, to really achieve some amazing outcomes. And I think for me, it's it, a lot of it actually goes down to reputation. Um, I know I mentioned it in that previous episode where. I very much care about what people think about me and my reputation is really important and and relationships are really important as well. And I kind of always figured that if I was doing the right thing, um, if I was building good relationships and actively listening to and implementing feedback from our customers, that we would just continue to grow. Like that's just how businesses work, right? Like if you take the feedback from your customers on board, if you implement implement it and then give them what they want, then they'll keep coming back. and that's just kind of how I've always done it. But oh, it definitely keeps me up at night. Like I've had so many nights where I've been awake, just like lying in bed at three in the morning being like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I think COVID was such a great example of that. Like when March came around, everything we did was face to face. And um, I remember actually like being, I was in a taxi in Singapore um, when the Australian borders started to close and all the restrictions were put in place. And I got in about a three hour period going from the, like going from my hotel to the airport and sitting in the lounge waiting for my flight, we had about six months worth of work just cancelled or postponed on us for the next six months, and I was sitting there going, "Oh my god, oh my god, what are we going to do?"
0: I, I, um, I, I, I have to be, I have to be honest and say that I was probably sitting in the airport, the same airport lounge, pretty much at the same time, and had a fairly similar experience around that too, you know. So having
1: a few gin and tonics, I'm sure. Um, oh, look, you
0: know, <laughs> possibly, possibly, possibly one or two of those, possibly a rum as well. Walk me through how you've responded to the COVID situation.
1: Yeah. So pretty much before my flight, it was a Friday afternoon. I remember that day I'd met with DFAT, um, Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade in Singapore Airlines, Um, and I'd planned on staying in Singapore that weekend after a tour working with the Australian International Schools there and in Malaysia. And I remember having a meeting with DFAT and Singapore Airlines and they both said, Scott, if you can get home tonight, I would highly recommend getting on a plane. I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, Scott get on a plane yeah, I um, and I remember get. landing and about 12 hours later the like restrictions were put in like all the restrictions were put in place I would have had to quarantine for two weeks and I was like Whew, just made it um and I messaged my team before I got on that plane and I was like look here's what's happened here's how it's gonna go down um, take the weekend rest up because you're gonna be working hard over the next few weeks and what was great is I remember walking into the um, office Monday morning and the, all the team was there and they're like right we're here to help just tell us what you need to do and we'll do it like We don't necessarily, like, we don't care about, like, working extra hours or anything like that. Like, we know that this is survival right now. And what we did is we started building our online platform. Um, By that point, we'd already had a few teachers reaching out saying, hey, our kids are going home. What have you got? Like, have you got workbooks? Have you got activity packs? Like, we're approaching the end of term one. What are we going to do with these kids for two weeks at home? We thought, well, yeah, like we've got a whole catalogue worth of content that we've delivered over the past two years. Again, with like majority of the programs we build being tailor-made to different schools, let's repurpose our favourite programs from the classroom and t- build them into online content. So we've made a series of digital workbooks, um, but also ran a series of online classes, and we launched our BOP online platform two weeks after the restrictions hit. Since then, we've run over 150 classes with students um, around the world. We've had about 15,000 parent teachers and students through the site, And we were seeing, like, we had a thousand downloads of our resources. And what was really great was seeing the real-time collaboration and the ideation of our students. Like, we service clients in 36 locations around the world, and we see how kids in... Brisbane think differently to kids in Rockhampton as opposed to kids in Melbourne, Singapore, Auckland and all around. And what was really awesome was seeing that playing out in real time, where we could have a group of eight students working in a group in an online workshop from all around the world, designing a sustainable city together and sharing their ideas, sharing their thoughts and sharing their opinions of what a sustainable city would look like. Um, And it's been phenomenal. And then since then as well, developing hybrid programs, where we can lower the cost and lower the, um, like, the need to fly our teams out to all of our different schools and deliver programs for kids in the classroom, still engaging in the magic of a bot program um, through online platforms like Microsoft Teams as well, which has been really cool. So now, that like, coming out of COVID, we've got two new product offerings that we didn't have six months ago, that we fully intend on keeping online, and I think has made us have made us even stronger um, over the past six months, despite the roller coaster that it has been. And how have you kept your team together? It's a really good question. Um, I think our team, we're very much, we're all here for the same reason. Um, we're actually hiring for a couple of new roles at the moment and I've been in interviews all day. And it was interesting because I sat down with one of my team members that's been in the interviews with me today and they haven't been in interviews with me before. And they said, it really is interesting, you know, like all of these people, they've got similar sorts of skill sets, similar sorts of um, like levels of experience, but the things that set them apart is the ones that you can tell truly, genuinely have that passion. Um, and I think that's with our team. Like we, in my core team, I've got someone with a education degree, a PR, a marketing degree, an engineering degree, and an environmental science degree. Um, very, very different people. But we're all here because we all know the magic of our programs. Like we see the amazing case studies of our students. And I think that's why we've done it. They're all here because they have a genuine love for the organisation um, and for the work we do. And I think that's what's really kept us driven and motivated through the past six months is that shared love, um, and passion.
0: Let's take a different tack now for a moment. Let's talk about you and tea. Mm. <laughs> yes. So we were talking offline um, earlier about body hacks, and we were, and you were telling me about your approach drinking different types of tea. Tell me about that.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So I as weird as it sounds i kind of view my mind and like my brain like a computer like you can optimize it you can close different tabs so that it's running as quickly as possible and i love efficiency like at any one point in time i have about 101 different things on the go so i need to know that every day when i turn up to work i'm operating as efficiently as possible and at my optimum um so one of the things that i love doing is drinking different types of tea um so growing up in china i was became a massive fan of herbal tea and started to learn about how different teas have different effects on your body so i have about like 20 different types of tea at home some that make help me wake up in the morning others that help me put help put me to sleep um keep my brain active when i'm starting to hit like that after lunch slump and i think like everything i do is very much centered around how can i function at my optimal um whether that's getting a certain number of hours of sleep at night the food that i eat for breakfast lunch and dinner um all those different sorts of things like i have almost like optimized my life within an inch of my life um <laughs> in some ways but you yeah, know i love it
0: and do you sleep much
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, So for me, I got glandular fever in year 11 and laryngitis in year 12. And since then, that was burnout. Like I've had chronic fatigue. I just wasn't managing my time right. And I was just too stretched and wasn't getting enough sleep. So since I've been very, very focused on getting a good night's sleep every night. um, So I always make sure I'm getting about eight hours of sleep, um, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more. But if I don't get eight hours of sleep, I'm cactus the next day at work.
0: There we go. So there's, there's a whole wellness routine that you've learned Around yourself? Do you exercise? Do you get time to exercise much?
1: Not as much as I'd like to, actually. Um, I used to be a swimmer and a runner, and I'm very looking for, very much looking forward to getting in back into the pool post COVID. Um, but I also just love, like, I love meal prepping. Sunday nights, I will just cook up a storm for about four hours and cooking all different sorts of meals um, to make sure that it's that whole idea of you put rubbish in, you get rubbish out. So making sure that I'm eating really well as
0: well. There we go. All right. There's an overall sort of plan in place. Do you have a life plan?
1: Um, as far as like I very much try to balance work and life um I think that's again a part of operating in my optimum if i am working like 20 hours a day I'm again just not doing productive work um, my dad always had a quote he said work smart not hard um so I always try and do that so because of that I'll make sure I'm going out with friends at least like two or three times a week um, and going out for brunch or dinner or lunch or something like that. Um, And I see that as being very important as well. Um, As far as life, like the next five to 10 years, not at all. Um, I'm just kind of going with it. I'm like, this is really fun. I'm doing some amazing things. And if you'd told me that like four years ago, five years ago, when I was starting selling hearings at markets that I was going to be doing this now, I would have laughed. So I try not to crystal ball gaze too much of what I'm going to be doing in the next five years.
0: That's very very interesting. So my my colleague and and co-conspirator Adriano De Prado is a, is another person, and he doesn't set plans for himself in his life in that way. Uh, I've always found it helpful in my own practice to have a plan for the practice or the business or the school or the department or my own teaching or whatever it was that I was doing. I'm not very good at having a plan for myself. I think there's just too many opportunities that are out there, and you know life is that thing that happens while you're making plans to do other things I think at the same time. So it's a it's a very it's a very curious thing. I'm interested in how you've extended out into becoming an entrepreneur in residence. Tell me about yes. how that opportunity arose and tell me what that means.
1: That was crazy. So I was approached at the start of the year by Griffith University up here in Brisbane um, about being their entrepreneur in residence. Now, as a 20 year old with no university degree, um, the fact that I'm their entrepreneur in residence and also like I was just last week working on their MBA, their master's of business degree was crazy. Um, But it's been really fascinating. So I got in touch with Griffith last year um, and it was fascinating because I actually met their dean of the business school at a panel discussion I was on. And it was with the career Mail up here in Brisbane and we were chatting about, um, the workforce of the future and talking about, and it was interesting cause we had, I was there representing K to 12 education. Um, we had a bunch of universities there and a bunch of, um, industry partners there. And we're all over this round table discussing, preparing students for the workforce of the future and industry was kind of pointing the finger at universities. Universities were kind of pointing the finger at K to 12 and I was kind of there being like, guys, like, this is a very like fundamental problem. Um, but what was really interesting is whilst all the other universities were busy defending themselves, being like, oh, no, we're great, we're perfect, we're not doing anything wrong, Rosemary, who's the Dean of the Business School at Griffith, she actually put her hand up and she said, look, I'm willing to acknowledge, I don't think we're doing enough to prepare our students. I think there are some serious gaps and I think there's room for improvement. And she and I just started having a fascinating conversation about that. And we really connected on that where they said, look, we need to be getting more practicing people in, um, people that are entrepreneurs, people that are business people to make sure that what we're teaching is real, relevant and relatable. Um, and that's where the opportunity for the Entrepreneur and Residence came. So I now work with the business department at Griffith, um, but also to across different faculties um, as like advising on entrepreneurial strategy, working with students, building curriculum. Um, and yeah, just, I'm very passionate about showing students that entrepreneurship isn't just for the business kids, it's for all students regardless of what you're studying. Um, so it's been a phenomenal experience so far.
0: It's for everybody and I think if we, if we, uh, if we just project ahead to the, to the next conversation that uh, we're going to have the final one in the series after this one is finished, we're going to talk a lot about those skill sets and what they are and what they mean and, and, and so on. I think that's a really, really important thing. What comes next for you?
1: That's a good question. Um, I was actually asked this question last year. I was put on um, the list for the top 30 under 30 business leaders for Australia and New Zealand, which last year was pretty strange as a 19-year-old. I was like, I've got 11 years left left on this list. And they asked me, "Like, well, what's next for you? Like, what are we going to see in the next 11 years? um and that's a good question i think for me i'm someone that i've realized i'm someone that's very much motivated by impact um i think there are just there's so much wrong with the world today and there's so much room for improvement and i really want to make sure that everything i'm doing is helping like improve someone's life improve a community or improve the world um so i think definitely education is a very interesting space at the moment i think we're going to see it fundamentally shift quite um a fair bit over the next decade and i'm really excited to be leading at the forefront of that um but just on a personal note like i think ag tech really excites me totally random totally left of field but um i spent a lot of time growing up on my granddad's farm um as a child and it's just fascinating seeing how agricultural technologies are growing and developing um but also too how our needs as a community as a global community are starting to change so I, you might find me dabbling in the ag tech space a little bit, um, playing with some drones and some sensors. But yeah, whatever I do, it's going to be around impact and helping make a difference in the world.
0: Oh, that's fascinating, isn't it? So, you know, last night I was having a conversation with uh, with my mum, who turns 88 on Friday, all about ag tech. And she, she's it's, she's, a, she's another restless you know human I being. She's just got a great mind and was sort of thinking about what, what, how, you, how you restructure an economy and what type of crops and sustainability and water and technology and all of this sort of stuff. I was very, very impressed. I was, uh, you can learn from lots and lots of different people. How do you learn best?
1: Mm. For me, I'm someone that I learn in a number of different ways. I am addicted to podcasts, so I'm constantly chewing through them. Um, But, uh, so I love to listen to other people's experiences and other people's stories. Um, Storytelling is definitely how you get me. Like, I think we as humans, like, we are innate, Storytellers, like we've been telling stories since the cavemen. Um, and I love listening to different people's stories, different people's learnings. But again, it's all around that authenticity. I can, like, I very much love listening to people, and I can tell they're being very real, being very authentic, and being very genuine. Um, but I also, to a fault, have to learn by doing it myself. Um, and whether that's making a mistake and going, oh crap, we stuffed that up, um, or something like that. I'd love to learn by doing, but I always kind of, again, going back to my mind being like a computer. I see every bad day every frustrating moment as a learning experience where I'm like okay great I've come up against this new challenge I don't know how to solve it but I know as soon as I do figure out how to solve it that plugs into my little like brain um and next time I come up against that challenge I'm going to be bigger and stronger and better
0: for next time um so very much like by doing but also by listening to people's stories so and 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 again that that picks up so much of what we understand about what effective teaching learning is all about I mean you don't have to convince this history teacher about the power of narrative that's why I got into teaching history because I loved telling the stories but at the same time that experiencing is so important because I, I think the reality is that nobody can do your learning for you you have to do it yourself And although people can present you with almost like a parallel world, a parallel experience, which is talking about the theory or their lived experience of it, you have to live it through yourself for it to become real Mm. and to apply the lessons in the way that you do really.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the thing it's around also to seeing how does this actually translate? Like, I know that was the thing that I always found in school was when I could see something that translated directly to the real world or it's that whole question that kids always ask, when am I ever going to use this again? If I'm like, I can see how, directly how I'm going to use this and how it's going to help me, I'll totally invest in it. Like 100% I'll spend every waking hour learning about it, but it's about making it relevant for the students, showing them the power of it. Um, but yeah, showing them how it affects
0: the real world as well. Final question in this particular conversation, you said that, your motivation is impact how do you know you're having an impact and what sort of impact are you looking for
1: that's a good question and it's something we were arguing about actually as a team last week the whole idea of quantitative versus qualitative feedback um, and data and for us like we actually haven't got any metrics measuring um that quantitative data around like the skill sets and everything like that um but I think for me, what really measures impact is the quality of data. Like it's hearing the stories from our students. Um, we actually just finished a program last week. It was a week long program with the school in Perth. Um, and what really warmed my heart was out of like, was all the messages I got at the end of it. We did it with about 100, 100 120 year 10 girls um, for a full week. And at the end of it, I just got all of these amazing, just heartwarming messages from these girls on social media, through Microsoft Teams or through all these different platforms saying, I just wanted to say thank you. Like, this really has changed my life. Like, I went into this not really sure what to expect. It was a full innovation week. And they said that I've come out of it and I've just got such a new lens and a new view on the world. Um, And it's those sort of, like, just messages that are really genuine, very heartfelt that we get every program and it reminds me, wow, like, as long as we're getting these messages, we must be doing something right.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the tangible people always want the hard data, don't they? Um, Yeah. You know, that's that cognitive space, but then there's also an effective space which says that, you know, you've got to be shifting hearts as well as getting numbers going. And both of them, I think, are important along the way. I want to talk more about measurement with you when we come back in our third episode. Scott, it's been fabulous having another chat with you. Uh, I'm learning so much from you. It's great. It's great. It makes me want to go back to be 20 all over again. Um, Scott Miller? Thank you very much uh, for joining us on Game Changers, this special series on social leadership and entrepreneurship. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for having me. I'll chat to you soon. The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education. The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you are hearing.